morning. It's a nice Sabbath. You enjoy your Thanksgiving? Lots of things to be thankful for, aren't there? Right? Not the least of which is peace and safety. I'm sure you probably made lists for things that you were thankful for over the last few days, particularly on Thanksgiving. Anyone think of adding the Bible to that list? Aren't you thankful that we have the scriptures? There have been lots of times throughout history where the people didn't have scriptures, even among the Jews. There were times where they dug in walls and found things that they didn't know existed, right? It's really nice to have the Bible. What a blessed generation we are to have the scriptures. And not just to have the scriptures, and not just to have the scriptures in our own language, to have the scriptures and all of the tools that we have available with the Bible. Concordances and all kinds of things. Like no other time in Earth's history where you can just pull your Bible up on your phone and do a deep search through interlinears and all kinds of stuff and pull up the Greek and the Hebrew and... right. Like no time in Earth's history, we have the Bible available to us right at the push of a button. We should be the people of the book. Right? And along with opportunity also comes responsibility, right? And you know, because I say it all the time, and I'm encouraging you all the time, read the Bible for yourself. We become somewhat lazy. We, we expect that people will tell us what the Bible says. Isn't that true? We align ourselves with the people we trust, And I tell you again and again, I don't want to be one of those people. Do you understand? And what I mean is is this. God has given me that calling and given me a responsibility. And I take that responsibility to heart. Isn't that true? But what I'm saying is you should take that responsibility for yourself to heart as well. You study the word to show thyself approved. Amen? We have that availability as never before. Study to show thyself approved. Right? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, accurately dividing the word of truth. Now, Pastor, why are you saying this to us? Well, I'm saying this to you because we're living in very interesting times. Just in case you haven't noticed, the world's kind of going crazy. And along with the world going crazy, there are all kinds of people out there who profess to be sharing the word of God. How do we know whether or not they're right or wrong? Unless we know the word for ourselves. 
right? We can't just align ourselves with one side because there are people who are doing that and we see that they're being led astray. You might have the opportunity to bump into one of those people. To have an opportunity to say something of truth to them. But in order to share, you also need to know. I know it's easy to just say, hey, here's a URL, just kind of link this and listen to Doug Batchelor tell you the truth. The Bible warns us and tells us that times are coming. Amen? Today, we've been, we've been looking at the remnant, and as we've looked at the remnant, we have realized throughout history that God has always had a remnant. Isn't that right? We've laid that foundation down pretty, pretty well. And we started all the way back there in Genesis. Remnant in Genesis? It's true, because the picture of the remnant back in Genesis consists of two brothers. Right? Cain and Abel. Abel is the remnant in the aspect that he is a believer who is also faithful. He represents the spiritual remnant. Cain represents the believers who aren't faithful. Isn't that interesting? Because you say, well, wait, believing in faith. Faithful meaning that Abel did as God would have him do. Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith, says, Abel believed and did. Noah believed and did. Abraham believed and did. You get it? All of them believed and did as God would have them do. We talked about the remnant in terms of Cain representing two groups of people in that sense, non-believers as well. We look across the world and we realize that every religious system of the world is a religious system based on works. All of it. Trying to appease their God, whoever their God is. And unfortunately, that same mentality made its way into the Jews particularly by Jesus' day. And then, centuries later, into Christianity. It became the dominant idea in Christianity, so much so that God needed to raise up reformers to bring his true believers out of the concepts of false belief that somehow what they did had something to do with them being saved. Is that right? We've been digging at this idea of remnant. The fact that the remnant has always been the faithful believers in God. And we said that there's an eschatological remnant, that remnant that believes in the end of the time, and they will be exactly the same as Abel and Abraham and so forth. Amen? Amen? This morning, we're going to take a little bit of a different kind of approach. Because 
there was an idea associated with the remnant that I thought we ought to dig out. And let's go right back there to Genesis. And let's look. If I can get this to actually function, for some reason it's not doing that. Why is that? Oh, there we go. Okay. All right. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And God said, I will show... What's he going to show? Did I? It's because I hit the button twice, or a couple times actually, and it didn't, it didn't respond. I know. That's really interesting. Why, why are you doing that? There we go. All right. Hello. We'll see if we can get her going. Don't move. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to escape out. Hold on a second. And shut this off, and that's off too. Go back in. Shut this off. Turn it back on. Okay, let's try it. Maybe it was the Bluetooth link. All right, anybody else got their Bluetooth on? Anyways. <laughs> All right. And God said what? Let there be what? Lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. You're familiar with this. And let them be for what? Signs. Have you ever pondered that? I mean, we sort of take them as, okay, it means signs and seasons, Right? Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And God made two great lights, the greater light, which is the sun, and the lesser light, which is the moon, to rule the night. And he made the what? The stars also. God set those, the sun and the moon, to be for signs and for seasons, how accurately, how accurate are they? Extremely accurate, are they not? You could probably set your watch on it. What do you think? You can, right? Okay, they're extremely accurate. And not just the, the, the moon and the sun, but also the stars. Isn't that true? The stars run in great order. In fact, they run with such order that you can make mathematical estimations and go backwards through time and figure out exactly where something or would have been at certain times or even what might have happened on certain days millennia ago. That's how accurate they are. God set them as the clockwork in the heavens to be for signs and for seasons. 
days, years, months, right? Now, over 3,000 years later, God would speak through the prophet Joel, and he would say this, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The what? The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before, before what? The great and terrible day of the Lord. Has that happened? When did it happen? Well, I have it written down, so I can, I can tell you. May 19th, 1780. Specifically, these two events. Now, if you're familiar with Scripture, you realize that there are also two other events coinciding with these that are spoken of in Matthew. What are those? A great earthquake, which we know to have been, which earthquake? The Lisbon earthquake. And then there's another event, what is it? The stars falling from the heavens, right? Which happened in 1833. The stars fell from the sky with such number, and not the stars that make up the constellations, right? But the stars fell from the sky with such number that the testimony was you could read a newspaper in the street at night. That's how many stars were falling. The great meteor shower. Now, in the 1800s and in the late 1700s, when these events were happening, when the sun refused to come up, so much so that Congress let out for the day. And then at night when the moon should have come out, it didn't until midnight. And when it came out at midnight, it looked like what? Blood. They've gone back through history. They've gone back through, tried to figure out what might have happened. Was there a volcano? Was there, was there something that kind of like blotted out the sun? Was there a big forest fire? Was, nothing. There, there's nothing that they can put their fingers on. And there was nothing that was reported at the time saying, hey, this happened, and here's its cause. In fact, there was an atmosphere in this country and across Europe particularly that was going on. And that atmosphere was called the Great Awakening. What kind of an awakening was it? It was a spiritual, religious awakening. If you recall, you'll know that, that there were ten horns on this beast in Daniel. Remember that? And then there was a little horn that came up among them. Do you remember that? I think there was a prophecy about that. Was there not? What was that? Daniel chapter 7. And there was a little horn. And that little horn was to persecute God's remnant people for a period of time. How long was that? 1,260 years. When that little horn would come up, he would pluck up three others, 
And we know that he started his reign in 538. He was to rule for 1,260 years. And thus it was to come to an end in 1798. That's right, 1798. He was to persecute the saints. What happened during that time frame? Right out near the end of it, we've got this great religious awakening. We've got the Reformation starting in the 1500s, and then it leads its way into the great awakening. And in that same time frame, those seven horns, who were they? Can you name them? England, France, Spain, Portugal, Germany, Italy, the Swiss, yeah, yeah, right? We all know the Hurrialai Vandals and the Ostrogoths right, that disappeared, right? And those seven, what had those seven done? Do you know what they had done? They had divided up the whole entire world. Do you realize that? Name a continent. Name a country. Name an island that was not colonialized by those seven. Isn't that interesting? No? Yeah, they were everywhere. They were absolutely everywhere. Now that's a bad thing, isn't it? Colonialization. They went in and basically stole the natural resources of all of those people. So I'm not advocating that. But God can always take bad things and use them for good. So every one of those countries that was colonized, the people who were colonized, were forced to learn the language of their colonizers. That's why you can go around the world and they speak French or Spanish or Portuguese or English or German. You get it? What was the advantage of that? Well, two things. One, while they were being colonized, it presented a certain amount of freedom for natives, say from England, to be able to travel in the countries that England had colonized, and France, and the same. Right? Not only that, but because the native people were forced to learn the language of their colonizers, the missionaries of the Great Awakening and the great uh, missionary societies that formed, and the great Bible societies that formed, were able to go into those countries that had been colonized, meet people who knew both the language of their colonizers and their native tongue, and they were able not only to share the gospel around the whole entire world, unlike any other period of history, but they were also able to get the Bible translated into the native tongue of those people. Amazing, isn't it? 
Joel said that at the end of time, there would be signs and wonders in the heavens among those very objects that God had created to be signs. The sun, the moon, the stars. And he said that they, the sun would be darkened and the moon would shine as blood. We also know the stars would fall from heaven and the earth would quake, all of which happened. And right when those happened, guess what everyone who was part of this great religious awakening thought? It's the end of the world. Were they right? Yes, they were. They were right in the aspect that it was the starting of the end times. You see? They were wrong concerning the event. You get it? We are, newsflash, in the tippy toes of time. You get it? We are in the tippy toes of time. Who is showing these signs and wonders? What does it say there? I will show. Who's saying that? God is saying that. God is using signs and wonders to get the attention of his people. God had often used signs and wonders. Can you speak of any signs and wonders that God might have used in the past? How about in the Old Testament? How about the Red Sea? Very good. In fact, there were a lot of signs and wonders associated with God leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, why did God use signs and wonders? Why did he? To what? Attention getters. Of whom? The Egyptians? Yes. And? The Jews, too. To show that God was real that he had power even over the elements of the earth, right? And to try and convince them that they should what? They should believe. Isn't that true? And to show that he was capable of saving them from their enemies. Isn't that true? God used signs and wonders. Can you think of any other time where God used signs and wonders in the Old Testament? Okay, part of the Red Sea. The Ark of the Covenant. The what? The plagues? The flood? What's that? Okay, floating the axe head. Mount Carmel. Raining fire down out of heaven. Sodom and Gomorrah. How about the New Testament? We see any signs and wonders there? Jesus' whole life, isn't that true? Over and over again, Jesus is using signs and wonders for what purpose? God's glory. Identification of what? Of himself. Validation. Right? Of himself. That he indeed is the Son of Man. Right? To convince people that he was indeed the Messiah. What about the apostles after him? Did they use signs and wonders? They did, didn't they? For what purpose? To prove that they were the disciples of the Messiah. 
Signs and wonders. It's interesting, isn't it? Look what Joel says next. He says this, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered from in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be delivered as the Lord has said in the what? In the remnant whom he's called. This is an eschatological remnant. It's a remnant that's happening when? When the signs of the sun and the moon and the stars. Those remnant are the ones God has called. And they believe and receive that calling. God has never been against signs and wonders. Even Daniel himself said this. He says, God delivers and he rescues. That's Daniel chapter 6. What's happening in Daniel chapter 6? Anybody know? Daniel chapter 6. Ah, the lion's den. That's right. Who said that? Oh, the pastor's wife. (laughs) The Daniel and the lion's den, right? Daniel and the lion's den. And and when they come to the lion's den, and they want to know if Daniel's still alive. Are you still alive down there, Daniel? Daniel testifies of God, and he says, he delivers and he rescues. Do you believe that? He delivers and he rescues. And he works signs and wonders. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar had testified to the exact same point in chapter 4. God works signs and wonders in the heavens and in the earth, Daniel says, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. If he could deliver Daniel from the power of the lions, if he could deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire, what can he do for you? Have you seen evidence of God's signs and wonders in your own life? Have you let him? You see, sometimes we don't even let him. And therefore, maybe we don't see any. Right? God has always used signs and wonders. Stand back, Jehoshaphat. The battle's not yours. It's mine. Stand back and watch the glory of the Lord. Why are you anxious? Why are you worried? I am the God who delivers and rescues. Look at my signs and wonders. In the last book of Revelation, we read this. Now a great, what? Sign appeared in heaven. There was a woman clothed with the sun. Isn't that interesting? And the what? Moon under her feet. And her head is surrounded with what? Stars. Who is this woman clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet and a garland of stars around her head? Who is she? God's church. Right? Now, there's a mistake that can be made. And as we talked about Cain and Abel earlier, we talked about the fact that, yes, Cain represents those who are non-believers, and the world is certainly full of those. You agree with that? And even in the New Testament, right, they, the, the, 
Jews would go up and stir up the non-believers and, and rile them up against the faithful believers. Isn't that right? Though that, that other class has always been represented by non-believers and false believers. And though the non-believers don't really like those who believe and act upon what they believe, the people who dislike the spiritual faithful remnant the most are those who are the pseudo-remnant. The pretend remnant. Those who have taken on religiosity. The outward appearance of faith. Right? But denying the what? The power thereof. Paul counseled from such people, turn away. In the last days, it is that pseudo-remnant, those who are pretending to believe, who have taken on the false gospel of works, who will become the chief persecutors of those who are the true, faithful, spiritual remnant of God. They will be the ones who go out and stir up the world. For the persecution of the true believers. It's interesting, isn't it? That this woman, right? Who's dressed like this. The Bible tells us that she fled into the what? How long was she there? 1,260 years, right? She fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there for 1,260 years, a times, times, and a dividing of time. We know that that happened. We know that it went from 538 to 1798. We know that the stars fell from the sky, that the moon didn't shine, that the, or excuse me, that the sun didn't shine, that the moon looked like blood, and there was a great earthquake. We know that the 2300 days came to an end in 1844. We know that we're living in the very ends of time. We know that God has often used signs and wonders. Right? But there's an interesting thing that God, through Moses, told his people as they stood on the very borders of the promised land. Let's look at what, that, what he said in Deuteronomy. If I can get this to move, come on now. I want to push it again because it'll then jump twice. See, I told you. If there arises among you a what? A prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a what? See, I told you it moved twice. He gives you a sign or a wonder. Come on now. Come on. There it is. All right. Okay. He gives you a sign or a wonder. And what's it say? The sign of the wonder does what? 
Ooh, that's kind of scary, isn't it? And it comes to pass. Of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us what? Go after other gods which you've not known, and let us serve them. What is this prophet and this dreamer of dreams trying to do? Deceive you. And what he says actually what? Comes to pass. That's kind of scary, isn't it? What did God say further? He said this. I think. We'll get there. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is what? Testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and do what? Keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and him only, I might add, and hold fast to him. God is what? Testing. That's scary, isn't it? So there's a prophet, and the prophet says something, and then it comes to pass. And God says, you're not to follow him. I'm testing you to see whether or not you love me and whether you keep my commandments. But what was the difference? What was the standard? Did you catch it? To serve other gods. You see that? Now, we know that in the last times that there's going to be such great deception that most of the world will be thinking that something that is not Christianity is actually Christianity. The world will be thinking that pseudo-remnant, pseudo-Christianity is actually Christianity. If you go online today and you were to start looking at end-time events, you might find an awful lot of things associated with what's going on in Israel right now. You might find an awful lot of speculation about who the Antichrist is. You'll find people cherry-picking a verse here, a verse there, and then giving you a whole bunch of commentary on why they think it's this person or they think it's that person, as if God hasn't told us. I'm probably going to break this out at the first of the year. I'm working on it. But I realized something a few weeks back. If you were to go into the scriptures and you were to look at prophecy and prophecy foretelling 
Not just events, but personages. Who's who? And here's how you know. You get it? Which entity do you think the majority of prophecies, who do you think the majority of prophecies were clearly identifying? Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? Does that make sense? Of course, God would want us to know and thus would foretell the very place he was born, to whom he was born, when he would be born. Isn't that true? What he would do in his ministry. Isn't that true? God wanted us to to know, therefore he foretold. This is who... Now, the next question would be, which entity or personage do you think is second in place of the total number of prophecies and identifying marks? The Antichrist. So many that nothing else even comes close. If God gave so many details concerning the Antichrist, what do you think he wants us to know? Who it is. Now, do you think that most of the details he gives us would apply? Or do you think all of the details would apply? Did all of the details concerning Christ apply? They did, right? Right down to the fact that he'd be swaddled in a manger? Thus, I think we could take all of the points and decide who the Antichrist is. If you were to go out online, and I did this over the last couple weeks, and you were to start looking, you'd begin realizing that there are all kinds of religious leaders who are suddenly standing up warning us about the Antichrist, and telling us who that Antichrist is. And guess who it's not? Who it's not is who it is. You see that? Because the devil doesn't want us to know. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? That the emphasis of who's not being identified in terms of their authority is based on signs and wonders. I know. I was raised that way. And they're uniting mostly with the ecumenical movement who also places its emphasis upon what? Signs and wonders. God warned as they stood on the edge of the promised land, there are going to be prophets. And they're going to say things. And those things are going to come to pass. But you're not to follow them because they're going to be leading you after gods which you have not known. But in order to know that you're being led after a god that you have not known, you have to know the god you know. Does that make sense? In fact, Jesus said the very same thing. He said this. 
This is like the biggest delay in the world. Hello? Why don't you just stay up there and push the button? Hey, there we go. What did Jesus say? He said, for false Christ and false prophets will arise. And what are they going to do? Signs and wonders. How convincing are those signs and wonders going to be? They're going to be so serious that it said, if it were possible, who would be deceived? The very elect. Which means it's not possible. That's true. However, that's if you're what? The very elect. In other words, there's going to be a lot of people who think that they're the elect. In fact, if we were to replace that word elect, what might we replace it with? The remnant? Which remnant? The faithful, spiritual remnant versus the pseudo-remnant. Those end-time signs and wonders are going to be so convincing that the whole entire world is going to be deceived. And it says, and immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun would be darkened, the moon would not give up her light, and the what? The stars would fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven would be shaken. Are you ready for signs and wonders? What might they look like? Apparitions? Bleeding statues? Healings and miracles? What might they look like? It seems to me once there was a guy named Job. It seems to me once that the devil took after him. It seems to me once that he caused wind come across a plane and destroy some houses that fell in on his kids. It seems that he rose up marauding armies to steal the things that Job had and fire from heaven. You get it? Is the devil capable of those things? What if you saw those things? What would be your safeguard? The scriptures. Oh, good. I thought you were going to say Doug Batchelor. I'm not making fun of Doug. You understand what I'm saying? Many of us have, re- have relied upon pastors and teachers and evangelists and others to be our source of faith. It's time for us to stop doing that. It's time for us to make line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, with a complete relationship, personal, living, dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. Our anchor point. 
of faith. Not what somebody else has told us. What we know to be true because we have a relationship with Christ and we trust His Word. That's where we need to be, brothers and sisters. Or else we will be finding ourselves among those who are deceived by signs and wonders. And if you think you have a lifetime, you're wrong. What's coming upon the world will be an overwhelming surprise. It's not going to be long. You're going to see lots of people deceived. If you go back there to Deuteronomy, you'll find that the very next thing he says is if it's one of your family members that calls you to follow after, that you're not to follow them. In fact, he goes as far as saying you're not even to feel sympathetic for them. I'll leave you to read the rest of it. Signs and wonders, Jesus warned. I think he knows. The creator of that sun, moon, and stars. In 1 Thessalonians, we read this, if it changes. About the time I step up there, then it'll go. See? Closer. Okay. For the mystery of what? Lawlessness. You know what the word is there for lawlessness? Anomos. A, prefix, means what? Not or no, right? And nomos is the Greek word for law. No law. The mystery of no law is already where? At work in Paul's day. Only he who restrains was holding back that mystery from really going full bore will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the anomos, the lawless one, will be what? Revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy the brightness of his coming. So how long is that lawless one going to exist? Until the second coming. We're not looking for that lawless one to suddenly just appear out of Europe or the Middle East or wherever. The lawless one is here. Do you know that Pope Francis stood up and said, hey, the lawless one is here. We should be watching for him. Really? When's the last time you saw him, Francis? This morning? In the mirror? You think people are going to be deceived? Do you think the pseudo-remnant might actually take the place of preeminence and be leading people astray? Times are coming. 
Do you think somebody's going to arrive on the scene who's very charismatic, who claims to be Christ? Didn't Jesus himself say, false Christ and false prophets shall arise and deceive many? Here we are. And then the lawless one will be what? Revealed. How is he revealed? Do you know who he is? And how is that? From the details? Line upon line? Precept upon precept? Here a little, there a little? Are you just relying on your church's definition? Or have you opened the pages and searched them on your knees? God, I want to know you as I've never known you before. I want to understand your word because, Lord, I do not want to be deceived. Who's going to be deceived? The whole entire world. This is not a joke. Right? That mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of who? Satan with all what? Power, signs, and? Huh, pseudos, lying, wonders. What kind of wonders? Pseudos, wonders. Are they real wonders? No, they just appear to be wonders. And yet, they deceive those who are on the face of the earth by those signs and wonders. And all, who's going to be deceived? Well, it's all unrighteous deceptions among those who what? Perish because they what? Did not receive the truth? The love of the truth. Do you love the truth? Do you love the truth? And is truth information? Or is truth a person? 